The leader of the Sydney Olympics meets the press as the 2000 Games come to a close. This is In the Moment for October 1, 2000. From the archives of Around the Rings, I'm Ed Hula. Just hours before closing ceremony at the Sydney Olympics, Michael Knight made his farewell to the media at a briefing at the main press center. As New South Wales Olympics Minister and President of SOCOG, the Sydney Organizing Committee, Knight had his hands on the throttle of Sydney 2000. He was a veteran of the New South Wales government when he was tapped in 1995 to oversee Olympic preparations. While the Sydney native was an expert in New South Wales politics, he was an outsider to the Olympics, and he had a ginger relationship with the media, as you can hear in this Q&A recorded 20 years ago in Sydney. Tonight, of course, we conclude 17 days of the Summer Olympic Games in Sydney. Of course, for many people, the journey to this point has taken much longer than the last 17 days. Seven years since Sydney won a bid, longer still since the bid process commenced, and even longer since the first plans to bid were discussed. In the case of John Coates, for example, his involvement goes back around 22 years to when the then Sports Minister in New South Wales, Ken Booth, established an exploratory committee to consider whether Sydney should bid for future Olympic Games. So the foundations for the sort of games that Sydney has delivered were set long ago, long before my involvement, long before the opening ceremony. Many people have been involved in getting Sydney to the point that we are now. And I hope that in the coming days, they all receive the credit that they so richly deserve. There's an old cliche about success having many fathers. Well, in the case of Sydney 2000, genuinely, there are many fathers, mothers, uncles and aunts without whom Australia could not have delivered these games. Of course, the games are not over. We still have competitions to run today. We still have the closing ceremony tonight. We still have to transport people today to events and from the ceremony, and we have to facilitate the departure of our overseas guests in the coming days. And then we are absolutely committed to delivering a top quality Paralympic Games from the 18th to the 29th of October. However, as we draw to the close of the Sydney Olympic Games, people will inevitably make judgments about what sort of games we've run. I want to make it very clear today that I don't believe it's my place to make such an overall judgment, let alone rank Sydney's achievement. This is a job for you and for others. Instead, I want to just briefly today thank four groups that I'm particularly grateful to. First, I'd like to thank the people who actually made the Games happen in the last 17 days. To David Richmond, Bob Lease and the entire Sydney 2000 team, I say thank you. To all the contractors and short-term employees, to those who built the fabulous venues, to all those who worked in the support services, like the police, the doctors, nurses, caterers, cleaners, rail workers, bus drivers and many others, I say a big thank you. Secondly, I want to thank our magnificent volunteers. No one deserves more gratitude and more praise than the more than 46,000 men and women who donated their skill, their time, their enthusiasm, their energy to the Sydney 2000 Games. No group has received more accolades from the public than our volunteers and no group deserves it more.
While we did not pay them for their services, their contribution was truly priceless. It was an honour for all of us to work with them. Thirdly, I want to pay tribute to the Australian public. In the end, what made these games special for Australians was the spirit of the Australian people. They embraced the whole game's experience with warmth and good humour. They put up with the inevitable inconveniences associated with an event of this size with great tolerance and great understanding. They not only loudly supported the Australian team, but deserve a gold medal for sportsmanship for the way in which they applauded the deeds of athletes from many, many other countries. They made the games their own and they did Australia proud. I hope tonight many of them will share in the celebrations around the harbour where we put on a terrific fireworks display to say thank you to them and to try and keep them involved right up to the end of the games. And finally, I'd like to thank the international media who are here, who have reported these games from Australia. You've not only been reporting an Olympic Games, you've been reporting a country and a people and a city. And while I naturally prefer some stories to others, I want to thank you for the overall spirit of fairness, indeed sometimes generosity, which has pervaded your coverage of our games, our city and our nation. Australians have an important concept called the fair go, and you've certainly given Australia and Australians a fair go with your reporting. I hope you've enjoyed your time here, and I thank you for your fairness. We're happy to take questions. Number two, please. Uh, Mr. Knight, um, we, as reporters, have asked athletes like Marion Jones how she kept her focus uh, with a lot swirling around her. And I just wonder what um, one or two key things, you elaborated on four, but beyond these four, what one or two key uh, points, key uh, focal points that you think contributed to the success of these games beyond the, the general four you elaborated on to keep the focus sure. and, and make it work? Well, there are many things. I mean, the transport went particularly well. Transport is always the biggest challenge at every Olympic Games. Uh, it's something that every city struggles with. I think it's fair to say that we had a pretty good result. It wasn't perfect. We had glitches along the way. But what really, I think, tests your mettle is not whether or not you have problems, but how you respond to them when they occur. For example, last night when there was that small derailment, the response was firm and swift and efficient and got things uh, quite literally back on track fairly quickly. So I've been very pleased with the transport and the way that's come together. Uh, similarly, uh, I've been uh, really, really happy with the police. Not only have they been efficient, not only have they given us a secure environment, but they've been a part of, of the warmth and uh, party atmosphere that's been around the whole city, and uh, that's been wonderful. Number one, please. Um, if I can ask a bit of an ephemeral question over here. Um, over the, the whole time you've done the job, did you ever think... I'm sorry, I can't see who it is. Uh, Raphael Epstein from right. ABC Radio. Um, over the past two weeks, the nation and I guess the city have really sort of lifted quite collectively and yeah. there's this huge sense yeah. of well-being. Did you ever anticipate that it would be like this? Is this what you thought it would be like? 
I always knew the Australian population would embrace the Games. We just hoped that we could play our part by delivering the infrastructure, the services, the transport, uh, and the facilitation of movement around the venues efficiently. I always knew the people would be sensational. Uh, the real test is whether we could provide them with the sort of underpinning that they deserved. Number three, please. This is Knight, Tom Salem from the Daily Telegraph and Herald Sun. Did you think uh, what's happened over the last two weeks has overcome the difficulties of 98, 99 in the public's mind? And also, will uh, Mr Holway be sitting up with you and Mr Richmond watching the closing ceremony tonight? OK. Um, let me deal with the, the two-part question in two parts. In terms of how the public feel about the Sydney 2000 organisers, that's really a matter for the public. Our job has always been to keep focused on delivering the best quality games that we could deliver, and we've tried to maintain that focus. We've made some mistakes along the way. Uh, we've copped some wax along the way. Uh, we've uh, upset some people along the way. Some of those things were unavoidable. Some of those things could have been avoided if we did it better. Um, but you, know, you learn from hindsight, you learn from experience. How the public feel now uh, is really a matter for the public to say it's not for us to judge. Clearly they've had a good time at the Games and, and I'm pleased that we've been able to play a role in facilitating that good time for them. In terms of Mr Holway, uh, Mr Holway will be sitting uh, where he sat at the opening ceremony in one of the best seats in the House. Uh, in an honoured position with other senior Sydney 2000 staff, heads of state and uh, people of that nature. Number one, please. Hi, uh, Mario Garcia, NBC Network News. What do you expect uh, the legacy to be of these games for Sydney and Australia in, with regards to tourism, economy, etc.? Well, there's several legacies we hope to get from the games. One is obviously the fantastic facilities provide a great legacy for sport. Uh, into uh, many, many decades. Uh, there's a legacy for the Australian athletes in terms of a fund that's been quarantined for their future development and participation at major international events. In terms of the economic legacy and the economic benefits, uh, in the case of tourism, we hope to build upon this event in the same way as Barcelona built so successfully upon the 1992 Games where they just kept increasing their tourism numbers year after year after year. So they were doing far more overnight hotel bed stays last year than they were doing in the year of the Games. In terms of the broader economic benefits, uh, we are hopeful that the international recognition that comes to Australia from having delivered a high quality Games, from showing what Australians are capable of doing, from having this opportunity to showcase to a lot of heavyweights in business uh, from all around the world who've been here, many of them for the first time, will stand us in good stead. Number two, please. Hi, Mike Mayo from the Sentinel Newspapers, Florida, USA. Um, I know you said it's not your place to rank where this game uh, compares to other games, but if you could just maybe assess where the games, how the organization went in your own mind uh, in terms of if you can rank it, if, if, if 10 being perfect of, of how you thought things could unfold and how the reality actually stood. Oh, I, I don't want to make those sort of judgments. I mean, I've only been lucky enough to be at two Olympic Games at Atlanta and Sydney. So uh, many of you have been to many more games than me and have got a broader perspective. 
I'm happy with the work our team did. I'm happy with what they delivered and how they delivered, um, but, but I'm not in the, the business of ranking or scoring. Number three, please. Good morning. George Vesey with the New York Times. I know that you all have a relationship with the Greek Organizing Committee, Athens Organizing Committee. Could you share a little bit of the general advice you might give to them, particularly in terms of the scope of the games? Are the games getting too big for any city to really want to, come to contemplate? Well, I think uh, we managed to deliver uh, with the size and the scope that we had to. It was clearly a stretch. You make your own judgment as to how well we did that. Uh, so I don't think the games have reached a size where they're out of control. Um, but I wouldn't like to see them get any bigger. In regard to Athens, uh, we have ongoing relationships with both Athok and the key government people in Athens, and they were here, uh, both groups, as we were in Atlanta, as we were in Nagano, looking at what happened, learning. Um, I hope that they are able to replicate the good things we did and avoid the mistakes that we made. Number two, please. Michael, it's Lisa Roche from the Deseret News in Salt Lake. Uh, the next games uh, will actually be in Salt Lake City, the Winter Games of 2002. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what advice you have for organizers there, given that uh, you've pretty much overwhelmed them here with the, uh, with the scale, the spectacle, the success, um, especially the, the party atmosphere compared to what I think a lot of people expect to find in, in Salt Lake City. Well, what would you tell organizers there? Thank you. Oh, very, very little. I mean, thank you for your kind comments. Uh, obviously, the Winter Games are very different to a Summer Games. Um, I, I don't think they should try and run Olympic live sites uh, outdoors uh, in the middle of winter in, in Salt Lake City. So there's a limit to what's applicable and what's transferable. Uh, Mitt Romney's been here. A number of people from Salt Lake have been here looking at the, the issues that may be transferable for them. And it's really for them to decide what helps in their view and, and what doesn't help. Uh, I think uh, we've, we've got a limited amount of expertise to contribute and it's available uh, on request and at, at their discretion. But I'm, I'm pretty confident they'll run a terrific games. Number three, please. Bruce McDougall from uh, News Limited. Um, in the weeks um, leading up to the games, ticket sales accelerated significantly yeah. and also during the games uh, to become a virtual torrent. I'm just wondering how close you got to um, the $150 million in uh, the uh, sales target that you had, uh, had to make up. I haven't done the balance up. We'll come up a little bit short on that as we expected, but not, not as far short as we provided for in the additional contingency. Uh, you're right, they went very well. We sold something like a million tickets in the last three weeks. Uh, so tickets moved very quickly, very well, but uh, we'll, we'll come up a little bit short on the maximum, but a pretty satisfying figure. Oh, I, I, I can't give you an exact figure, and we've got a bit of balancing up, because what we deal with, Bruce, in the end are net figures on ticket sales, not gross, and you have to remove the costs of how many extra operators you put on the call centre, what were your extra costs with advertising, and so on. So uh, it's meaningless until we get down to the net figure. Number one, please. Uh, Stephen Spencer, Australian Associated Press. Just 
building on that. The, the figures just released say you, you, you sold $780 million worth of tickets, yeah. which, uh, and in terms of the overall percentages, you easily exceeded all the previous yeah. records. Given that, then how much do you think you were damaged by the ticketing bungle of a couple of months back? And w were it not for that, do you think you could have made all of your, uh, all of your figures? Uh, it's, it's hard to say. Um, I, my gut feeling is that the ticketing troubles of around about a year ago, almost a year ago, uh, didn't affect our final sales. They affected the timing of the sales and they soured the relationship with the public, particularly on the ticketing front, for a considerable period of time and until Michael Ayres and Alan Marsh and others came in, John Purdy Smith with the ticket delivery and built a credible ticket sales process, we couldn't get moving. Had we been able to build that earlier, would we have sold more? Maybe, probably not, but we probably would have sold them a bit earlier. Number two, please. Minister Murray Elson to you in Sydney. In the lead up to Sydney, the IOC went through probably you know, its, its darkest days in, in the history of the modern games. After the two weeks we've seen here with you know, the obvious public enthusiasm, the success of the venues and transport and so on. I mean, I'm just wondering, when, in, in your view, to what extent do you think what's happened here the last two weeks has helped put the IOC and the Olympic brand back on track? Well, I, I know that the IOC had some problems, but I don't think the Olympic brand as such ever got off track. Even in the worst of their crises, uh, cities from around the world were queuing up to bid for future games. So. As I said to you many times along the way, while the IOC became a spectator sport for a brief period of time, it's the athletes that people are excited about, it's the athletes that people buy tickets to see, it's the athletes that lead to cities bidding for the games, and clearly that's not going out of fashion. Number three, please. Uh, Charlie Saldell, Express in London. Uh, how, many of your team are, uh, how many of your team are directly involved in helping Athens in 2004, and what's your own uh, political future? What's, sorry, what's your own political future? Okay, um, depends on what you mean by helping. Uh, we have an arrangement with the IOC for a formal transfer of knowledge, so a number of our staff will be involved in that later this year. Uh, quite a number of our key people met with both the government and the Athok people while they've been here in the last three weeks or so. Um, I'd expect very few of our people to go and formally work in, uh, in Athens um, because of the cultural and language difficulties and differences. There, there may be a handful that go there. I'd expect some sort of ongoing liaison on the terms that, that uh, Athens would require and would want. It's their terms. My own? Uh, well, the most important thing I have to do in a couple of weeks is run the Paralympic Games together with the Paralympic Organising Committee, uh, core of uh, Sydney 2000 people, uh, and then after that it's up to the Premier. It's a matter of what job he gives me. Number two, please. John Lehman from the Australian newspaper. Uh, two questions for Mr Knight. Um, a few months ago the New South Wales Government handed over $140 million to sure. Sydney 2000. Do you expect uh, that you will require any more money in the wash-up after the Games? Do you expect that you might be able to hand some money back? And secondly, how would you describe uh, Mr Holway's contribution over the last three to four years? Sure. Uh, second question first. Uh, Mr Holway's contribution has been significant over the three years that he's been a member of the Sydney 2000 team. 
Uh, in the last couple of months, he's been focused on some things that he's particularly good at and things we especially needed him to do. For example, when we had serious problems, logistical, about getting athletes from Africa to the Games and we faced a real risk of not having effectively 200 countries here, uh, we dispatched him on two missions to Africa and he played a critical role in facilitating the entry of those athletes and that's a good example of a specific contribution that he's made in recent months. In terms of uh, your other question, which was about the, the money, uh, no, we don't expect to be asking for any more money. Uh, where we end up in the balance up will take a few months to do. Uh, will I hand any money back to the Treasurer? Well, spending ministers always hate to do that, and Treasurers always like to get some back, so that could be an interesting negotiation in the next few months. Number one, please. Uh, my name is Mika Rahko, and I'm the Finnish broadcasting company. We've been told today that uh, Sydney has smashed several Olympic Games records. Uh, I was wondering if you have any estimates on the overall financial profit of the Games. Uh, we won't make a profit on the Games, and we've never sought to make a profit on the Games. We've seen the money we put into the Games as an investment rather than as something that we're seeking an immediate return on. So the money that's gone into building all these magnificent facilities are part of a longer-term legacy. The money that's gone in to facilitating the operation of the Games is part of a broader economic investment that we're seeking, uh, returns from tourism, returns from business, uh, greater recognition and so on. But in terms of cash flow, uh, we don't expect to make a profit as such. Number three, please. Linda Corporal from The Telegraph. You, you talked about the $140 million on mm. the SOCOG budget, but the OCA budget, is mm. that uh, will that be coming in online with what it was when uh, the budget was announced earlier this year, or do you expect that when we see the final figures that will, will come in uh, over? Well, there are the figures that were announced by the Treasurer in the state budget of appropriations for various agencies, like OCA and AUTA and the police, and there was also a broader contingency fund that the tre Treasurer made provision for, for a range of other Olympic activities, quite separate to the money that went to SOCOG, and we're yet to balance up and see where that comes to. Of course, uh, we expect that uh, what we had to do in terms of throwing additional resources at the last minute to supplement bus 2000 in the private sector will lead to some additional costs but it's too early to balance them up. Number three, please. Wakako Yuki from Yomiuri Shimbun. Minister, this is the last Olympic Games for President Samranj under his uh, presidency. And um, um, do you think Sydney could or will be giving him the great gift by uh, uh, giving him the opportunity to label his last Olympic Games in his career as best ever? Well, it's really up to him to decide what to say tonight. Uh, I can't uh, prejudge, preempt, or, or even guess at what he might say. What I am very pleased about is the reception that the people of Sydney in particular and Australia in general have given to Juan Antonio Samaranch during his visit. He obviously uh, had a very difficult time in the early part of his visit with the, the sad death of his wife that led to him returning to Barcelona for part of the Games and uh, the public warmly welcomed him on his return. He'd been received very warmly at the opening ceremony. 
Uh, he was especially warmly received on his return. Uh, he's got a terrific reception when I've taken him out in the boulevard and he's been cheered on those few occasions where he's chosen to present medals. So I'm sure he will have fond memories of the Australian people and his treatment in Sydney. What he says about the Games, uh, I'll, I'll wait as anxiously as you do. Number one, please. Um, yep, over here, Michael. Uh, Cameron from 2GB. Uh, Graham Richardson told us the other day that he was looking to get even with a few people because of the ticketing problems. Yeah. Just wondering if you've got any scores to settle yourself. No, I don't think that uh, anything should be done by Graham or anyone else to sully the wonderful spirit that's out there in the community. The Australian people have embraced these games. There is an almost magical feel in Sydney at the moment. And I think anything that's done by anybody to detract from that uh, is not in their interests or the nation's interests. Number two, please. Uh, Minister Matthew Moore from the City Morning Herald. Uh, given the increasing role government's played in the organising and preparation of these games, I wonder whether some of the senior staff at SOCOG, including Mr Holway, are likely to complete their contracts that I think run well into next year, March or thereabouts. Well, uh, contracts are contracts and uh, the decision on how soon the organising committee is wound up uh, is uh, a matter that's yet to be determined by the Parliament, but uh, anyone that's got a contract will be paid the full value of their contract. I wouldn't anticipate Mr Holway, Mr Sloman or the other senior executives uh, leaving SOCOG while SOCOG still exists. Number one, please. Minister Andrew Orsati from SBS Television. Uh, you've spoken more than once about the legacy, uh, in particular the facilities. Firstly, I'd like to know, realistically, are you not afraid that there could be a few white elephants lying around? And secondly, what's your opinion on whether the drugs issue, if that in fact has tarnished these games, and what market has left in your mind? Okay. Uh, in terms of the legacy facilities, I mean, you are sitting in uh, part of the Sydney showground, uh, which has terrific use. We've got a long-term arrangement with the Royal Agricultural Society to run the uh, great uh, exposition of agriculture and, uh, and almost a theme fun park at the same time of the Royal Easter Show each year. There are a range of exhibitions and other activities that happen in the showground, so its future is very well secured. Uh, the Aquatic Centre has been incredibly popular before the Games in terms of community usage. The Tennis Centre has massive long-term usage potential and arrangements with the New South Wales Tennis Association. Uh, the stadium has already had fantastic use, quite apart from the Olympics, in terms of landmark sporting events as well as some concerts and other events. So I think the future of the facilities is very strong, very sound. If you look at some of the smaller facilities, the uh, slalom canoe course at Penrith, where Penrith Council put some money in and Penrith Council are operating, has been an outstanding success as a venue for whitewater rafting for the community. So I'm very comfortable. There's a few issues still to be worked through and uh, Mr Richmond and I will take something to Cabinet later in the year about the longer term arrangements for Olympic Park and Homebush Bay um, but we're, we're quietly confident about the long term future. Um, your question about drugs is I think it is a very positive thing 
that a number of athletes who have been cheating were caught in Sydney. Sydney may well go down as the beginning of the fight back against illegal doping in sport generally and particularly in the Olympic movement. The existence of the EPO test, which is a first and uh, owed much to the developments by Australian scientists, the pre-games testing, which was a first and owed a great deal to initiatives of John Coates and the Australian Olympic Committee in cooperation with WADA and the IOC, the existence of WADA under the IOC, all of these things have increased the level of detection. Uh, some of the work by the Australian Customs comes into that category. So uh, I'm actually quite pleased that we've caught a number of cheats. I think it's been the worst kept secret in world sport that there has been drug-assisted cheating going on. And to send such a strong message, to start catching people, to have the IOC stepping in very strongly and taking away medals, for people who've been caught cheating, I think it's a good development. I don't think it sullied the games. In fact, I think it strengthened the games, and I hope we will go down uh, in the long-term memory as a real turning point in the fight back against doping. Number three, please. Uh, following up on George's question about the growing scope of the games, uh, how important was um, government involvement here in light of Atlanta being almost completely privately financed, and U.S. cities in the future who bid, uh, the U.S. in general has a culture of very low tolerance uh, for the public participation uh, in these public-private uh, types of partnerships. I just uh, just comment a little bit on number one, the importance of the game of uh, the government, and how in the future you see government roles and what U.S. cities might have to do uh, that they might be adverse to doing? Well, I, I can't speak for the U.S. experience. Uh, I can only, excuse me, talk about Australia and how it works here. We are a country of only 19 million, uh, which is a fraction the size of the United States. Uh, it doesn't stop us beating you in a number of sports, and, and uh, some of our athletes doing very well, but we are a fraction of your size and, and of your economic power. The culture of Australia is also one that has a very strong government involvement at a range of government levels, particularly at the state government level, in uh, events that are seen as significant and critical in people's lives. So what has happened here with the role the government's played has been both very much a part of our culture and also essential in terms of delivering uh, when we have a relatively small population base. Now, at a personal level, I, I can't see how, in our country, you could run it at least any other way. And what is interesting that... So, what, what is interesting is that over the seven years, the involvement of the government increased. That wasn't a strategic or tactical decision. That was something that, as problems emerged, it became clear that the government was best placed to sort those problems, and increasingly the government took a bigger and bigger and bigger role. And so when you find something like the Olympic Live Sites, uh, that was an, a government initiative funded by the government, run by the government. Uh, when you find transport, it was run 
uh, by the government in collaboration with the private sector, ORTA, the Olympic Roads and Transport Authority, was a government body. And uh, when you found some deficiencies in the early days in the bus and the private bus sector, it was the government that was able to respond and felt obliged to respond. So those things are, are very important to us and have been a central part of our games. The facilities, of course, were all done in conjunction with the private sector by the government. So the government was, was very heavily involved and, and became increasingly involved. And whenever there were problems that hadn't been sorted, uh, the best place to get the help to sort them was from the government. And thankfully, we were able to get that. Last two questions, please. Number two. Lisa Karvinen from Finnish TV News. Uh, looking from Europe, Australia still remains quite far away, whether you had the games or not. And very seldom uh, you are among the top news stories. So what do you think, how long-standing is the benefit you got from the games? Well, we hope that the experience of the games and the massive coverage uh, from Finnish television and, and elsewhere helped uh, close what you might call the psychological gap between Australia and the rest of the world. The physical distance has been bridged primarily by the jumbo jet, uh, but the psychological distance still remains great. Australians are very used to travelling to North America and to Europe, and we've, uh, we've made that psychological adjustment, and hopefully the experience of the Games and what people have seen will help close and bridge that psychological distance. Number three, please. Mr Knight, you've worked closely with uh, Juan Antonio Samranch and the ISC over not only recent weeks but recent years. Sure. Can you give us your reading on the suitability of his successors, namely Mrs Gosper, uh, Rog and Pound? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a candidate uh, and I don't have a vote. And uh, since I don't anticipate running another Olympic Games, uh, I won't be working with the IOC in the capacity I've worked with them, and I think it would be presumptuous of me to express a view. Sydney 2000 President and Olympics Minister Michael Knight, speaking October 1, 2000 at the main press centre on the final day of the 2000 Olympics. Knight faded quickly from the Olympic scene following the Olympics. He served on some corporate boards, including the Sydney Olympic Park Authority. In the Moment is a production of Around the Rings. I'm Ed Hula. For three decades, your best source of news about the Olympics is AroundTheRings.com.